sorry. So, we're going to talk about first the disciples' love. Um, so, if you have your Bible, flop it open to Mark chapter fourteen. Mark chapter fourteen. Be looking at uh, verses three through six. Not really getting in depth on it, just kind of looking at some stuff and getting some um, parallel passages and things like that that might shed some light on how we're to love the Lord in a way that uh, sets our own personal interest aside and and gives everything, all those things that we, we value to the Lord as opposed to hanging on to them. So Mark chapter 14, verse 3 through 6 says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper... As he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spinknert. Then she broke the flask and poured it out on his head. But there were some who were indignant among, among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. So for us as disciples of Christ, we must have love. A love that goes deep beyond ourselves and in our own personal interest, uh, goes further than what we possess and what we hold and and have value or put value on. Uh, Love for Jesus as well as love for others. We can't be saying that we love Jesus and we're going to give everything to God and then have some sort of like problem with people. We have to give all of ourselves in love to the Lord and to others. I'm not talking about the worldly type of love that's based upon how we feel at any given moment because feelings are fickle. One minute you're up and the next minute you're down. One minute you're, you're praising the Lord and the next minute you're sitting there all bummed out and people are asking you, hey, what's going on, man? And you're just like, oh, man, I'm struggling. And then they give you a word and the next minute you jump up and you're all, all right, praise the Lord, you know, and you're all happy again. This is not the type of love, this is not the type of love we're talking about. It's not based on feelings. But it's a love that seeks, nor a love that seeks to take advantage of someone. There's that kind of love too. It's a love that always is after its own. It it always seeks its own. It's self-serving. It desires nothing but to get from others rather than to give. The type of love I'm talking about goes beyond our ability to understand because it's God-given love. It's a sacrificial love. It's the type of love that God gave us by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. It's the type of love that's willing to give and hold nothing back from the Lord. Not to keep those secret things. Oh Lord, I'll give you anything, but not that. Right? How often have we done that? Lord, I'll I'll give you anything you want, Lord. I just want to serve you. I want to know you better. I want to fulfill your call for my life. But not that. Not that area. I don't want to give that thing up, whatever it might be, right? We hold on to it. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you may, that you also love one another. By this, excuse me, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So this is the type of love we're to have. We're to love God and then we're to love everybody else as well. We're to be like our Lord, giving all of ourselves and everything that we have for His service. Not just when we're at church, but when we're outside of church as well. We're to give everything to the Lord. We're to serve the Lord with our whole hearts. 
The ultimate example of love, obviously, is God sending His Son, Jesus, who freely gave up His life. Nobody took it from Him, as we learned this weekend, right? Nobody took His life. He gave it up freely. It wasn't something that you know somebody had to beg Him to do. God, the Father, didn't have to beg Jesus, hey, please give up your life, you know, and, and it wasn't like that. It was something that He did willfully because He loved us. He loved us while we were yet still sinners. In John chapter 15, verse 11 through 13 says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He goes on to talk about you know, how sometimes you know, somebody might give up their life for a good person, maybe, you know, but nobody's going to give their life up for a dirty sinner or somebody they hate, right? But Jesus came and he died and he gave everything. So why do we hold back from him? Why do we keep love from him? Why do we not just give everything to him? And it's difficult. And this love and this maturity thing kind of ties in together because when we love the Lord in such a way as to give everything to him, it causes us to be mature. It causes us to you know, strive you know, for, for greater things in the Lord. Jesus gave it all, and all to him I owe, right? We owe, as we sing all the time. But as we sing those songs and they go through our head, I mean, we've got to really process it and think, yeah, Jesus gave it all, and all to him I owe, but do I really believe that? If I believe that, aren't I going to love him as he loves me? Aren't I going to love others as he loves me? Our motive to love must not be out of duty or compulsion must not be something that we just do because, oh, well, I'm a Christian, so therefore I must, you know, I need to serve, I need to do something. It's not done because we have to do it. It's because we're blessed to be able to do it. You know, we do what we do because we love the Lord. You're not serving the Lord because you're a Christian, you know, or just because. You know, you're serving because you love the Lord. And you desire to do those things that He has called you to do and me to do. We want to walk in the Spirit. Our motives are everything as Christians. And we see this from a young woman here in her motives and her love for Jesus. What was her motivation? But the love of the Lord. We're told in the Gospel of John chapter 12, and this, you know, whatever. I mean, commentators go back and forth on who this person is or whatever, but I think it's fairly clear that John chapter 12 says, you know, calls this woman, she's Mary. And she, she anoints the Lord. And, and one of the disciples that was pouring out the, when she was pouring out the oil, you know, decided that, well, what are you doing? This oil could be used for, you know, for, for the poor, the money that we sell it for. And this disciple happened to be Judas. So the contrast between these two people is huge. And it's like night and day. Mary's concerned about the Lord and the things of the Lord. And Judas is concerned about money. You know, he's concerned about, he claims, the poor. But we get a little insight, you know, while uh, the bottle of fragrant oil was worth a year's wages or so, at the first glance we might be tempted to side with Judas, right? But John, giving us insight in John chapter 12, verse 6 says, This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. So Judas wasn't concerned about the poor. He was concerned about the money. 
He wasn't concerned about the Lord and how they can further God's kingdom or, or, or whatever with the money that they could get towards the poor, to give towards the poor, but they were, he was concerned with the money itself. What he could take out of the box without getting caught. And that's, that's a big difference between him and Mary and what we see. The disciples believed that it was a waste, but Mary didn't care how much the bottle of fragrant oil was worth. She didn't care. Right? Or whoever you want to think this woman is, whatever. Like I said, I think it's Mary, but you may have a different view. But she didn't care. She knew her Lord and Savior was worth much more than she could ever give. Here she gives this bottle of expensive oil, a year's wages, and she valued the Lord more than that. It's not like today where, you know, the year's wages back then, 300 denarii, I don't even know how much that is in U.S. currency. But it's not like, you know, we have a pocket full of like 20s and we got like maybe 100 bucks in our pocket and here you go and just kind of throw it around like it's nothing. You know, it's not like that. Back then it was hard to come by work and money and everything else. You had to have a trade. You had to, you know, be able to have something worth giving, you know, so that you can earn wages. You know, just about now, I mean, we can do anything for money. You know, I mean, you can sell stuff on the internet. You can sell your blood. I mean, who knows? I mean, you can do all kinds of stuff. But it was much more difficult back then. And so she didn't care. She had no value. She put no value in that fragrant oil. She did not care. She put value in stock in her Lord and how much she loved him. We're to give Jesus the first and the best of all that we have and all that we are. And I think that's what she was doing. You know, she was giving Jesus the very best that she had. And at times, I know I struggle with that. You know, giving the Lord my very best. You know, things preoccupy our time. You know, things preoccupy, you know, the things that we have that we have need to buy or do or whatever. And sometimes we hold back from the Lord what belongs to Him. Everything that you and I have, every possession, you know, tangible, every gift spiritually belongs to the Lord. And and when we hold back or keep something for ourselves, I mean, you know, I, I think it stunts our growth spiritually. And I, I don't think, you know, Mary even cared. She would have done she would have probably, you know, given him anything he asked for. We should be willing to give all to the Lord. Because when we empty ourselves, he will fill us to overflowing, right? We give everything to him and then he gives us back in abundance. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about give to get, all right? That's something for other churches that are more concerned about money than anything else. But this, I'm talking about giving ourselves everything, giving to the Lord everything that we have. And He will fill us up spiritually more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. What's your desire in the Lord? What's your desire, spiritually speaking, in the Lord? You want that? I mean, you want to give... You know, everything to obtain that? I mean, I know what I desire in the Lord. I know how I desire the Lord to use me, you know, spiritually speaking. And I want to say 
that I'm willing to give you everything, Lord, to get that. Not because I, I want something, you know, to, you know, like some sort of status or anything like that, but because I desire to serve the Lord in that way. But it's hard because sometimes I feel like, yeah, I could do that. I give you everything, Lord, man, done. I don't even care. And other times I'm like, yeah, maybe not so much, you know? And it's hard. It's a struggle that we have as Christians to be willing to give Jesus the very first and the very best of ourselves. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I mean, he is willing and able to do so much more than we even think. We think like this big, and Jesus is thinking like this big. Oh yeah, you want that much? Watch this. Boom. Right? And all this... He does for us, right? You know, I, I don't know what, you know, Pastor Richard's vision was when he initially, you know, decided, you know, that the Lord was calling him out. You know, he'd come up to Monrovia, oh, have a little fellowship or whatever. But look at what the Lord's done. And the Lord wants to do so much more than we could ever ask or think. But we have to be willing to let go. Let go of ourselves. Let go of our ideas. Let go of our you know, desires, and to some degree our possessions. Like, all right, Lord, whatever you want to do, help me, help me to want to do it too, you know? It's not that you want the Lord to, oh man, it's like, Lord, you know, I believe, but help me with my unbelief, right? It's like, I, help me to see as you see. Help me to see what you desire for me. Help me to see how it is, you know, you want to know how he's going to accomplish it. He's not going to show you that, otherwise you'd probably freak out. But if you, if you see, you know, Lord, help me to see with your eyes. Help me to look beyond my, my tunnel vision. Help me to see. Too often, this is our attitude towards the Lord. We claim to love. We hold back and refuse to pour out our lives for the one who poured out his life for us. And, and that can be, you know, a little disheartening at times when you think about that. When you think, man, Lord, and I'm sure we've all done it. Man, Lord, you've given everything, you've, you've given your life for me, and look at me. Look at what am I doing, you know? What are the things that I'm doing? I'm not showing you the love that you deserve, you know? And, and I'm just, you know, messing up in areas I shouldn't be messing up in anymore, right? I'm, I'm not giving to you all that you deserve. Talk about a waste. We who call ourselves Christians are called to be like the one whose name we bear, Jesus Christ, right? Amen? That's what Christian means, right? Christ-like. You know, we're supposed to be like our Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You want to have an incredible crop for the Lord. You want to be sold out. You want to see the Lord work in your life. Give Him everything. Don't hold anything back. I guarantee you that if you do that as a Christian... 
that He will move in your life more than you could even understand. Again, not talking about emptying your wallet, okay? Talking about emptying yourself spiritually, giving Him everything, laying aside all your hopes and desires and dreams and figuring out, Lord, what is it you have? You know, and I'm sure there's many a missionary who had no idea, you know, that that's what they were going to do when they gave up everything. I'm going to, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm going to give up everything. They give up everything. It's like, what? Indonesia? What? (laughs) What? Why am I going there? You know, I was talking to somebody, they were talking about the food in Africa. And they went, they said it was disgusting. It's like, Lord, why? (laughs) You know, why are you sending me here? Well, because you wanted me to use you. (laughs) Right? You wanted my best for you, and this is what I have. Now go and do it and serve with a a cheerful heart. You know? Giving back all that the Lord has given to us. So Mary wasn't under any obligation to use this expensive oil on Jesus. She wasn't, like, forced to do it. She wasn't told, hey, you should do that. You know, sometimes we say that to each other. Hey, man, you should do that. You know, be good. You, You watch the Lord. He'll do something awesome, right? She wasn't under any obligation to do that. But I believe she knew that no one was more worthy or deserving of such a costly gift than Jesus. I believe that she was saving it for something. Who knows what? Well, who knows where she got it? But I believe she was saving it for something. And as I, as I read through it and I read the parallel passages in the various Gospels, you know, I... I see that, you know, in my heart, I'm just kind of stirred to think that this is the moment that she was to use that. That it was something that she was to pour out to Jesus as an offering, as a sacrifice to Him, to her Lord, out of love. Not out of duty, not out of compulsion. Nobody had to twist her arm. What she did was out of love and devotion to Jesus. And nothing more. She loved him. It's important for us to have the proper perspective about our possessions and the gifts of the Spirit that we have. Some of you guys, you know, know what your gift is in the Spirit. Some of you guys don't. Some of you guys will. Some of you guys have multiple gifts, you know. But it's important for us to have the proper perspective. To see the things that the Lord has given to us as things that belong to Him. More like they're on loan to us. Right? I mean, the things that we do for the Lord, I mean, shoot. Like we could ever repay the Lord for all He's done for us. You know, sometimes we we think to ourselves, Oh, Lord, man, look at all I gave up, you know, to, to come and become a Christian and serve you. Yeah, I gave up. Filth and trash and drugs and alcohol, pornography, sex, you know, all what wow, I gave up so much for the Lord, right? What did he do for me? Well, he only sent his son and died on the cross for my sins, right? You know, I think that we think somehow we can repay that debt, you know, it's never gonna happen. And that's okay. All that we have belongs to the Lord and is ultimately to be used out of love and for His glory. Everything that we have, we're to use for Him, whether it's money, whether it's our, you know, our talents in the Lord. You know, some of you guys play instruments and sing and stuff. You use your voice, you use your, you know, your abilities with instruments to serve the Lord. Some of you guys, you know, have skill 
and are abundantly blessed with the ability to put up with people making a mess out of the church so you clean it up, you know? And you don't care, and you do it with a gracious heart to the Lord. And and that's a blessing. Because most people wouldn't want to clean a filthy restroom after, you know, 20, 30, 40 men use it on any given night. But there's those of you who, who do it dutifully as unto the Lord. What a blessing that is. You know, I saw on Sunday, I mean, the, the tear, setting up and the tearing down of everything. I mean, people just coming, you know. You saw the women's rummage sale, right? I mean, people just coming out because they love the Lord and they want to serve. What a blessing. You remember David was a man that loved God and he desired to build a house for the Lord. But God said to David in First Chronicles 28, verse 3, You shall not build a house for my name because you've been a man of war and have shed blood that didn't stop David you know he may not have built it with his own hands but of course we know that you know Solomon built the temple right he commissioned Solomon to do it and they got everything done David was because of David's love for God he was undeterred gave the plans of the temple to his son Solomon so that he could build it This is what he did. You know, he loved the Lord that much where it's like, okay, well, I can't build it, then I'm going to get somebody to do it. You know, that's what's going to happen. Because I love you, Lord, and I feel like this is what I need to do. And though you are forbidding me to do it, I will get somebody to do it. That love, that desire to, you know, to get it done, no matter the cost. Then David said in First Chronicles twenty nine verse fifteen or ten through fifteen. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory and majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come to you, and you reign over all. In your hands is power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, O oh God, thanks. Uh, we thank you and praise your great, uh, glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you. And of your own, we have given to you. That's a remarkable statement. David says, not only are all things from you, but we're just giving you back what belongs to you anyway. You know, he, he had the right perspective. He understood that everything came from the Lord. There was an abundance there that came from the blessings of the Lord upon his life. Now, was David a perfect man? No. But he knew that everything came from the Lord. And he knew that everything he owned, his possessions, his body, his desires were all from the Lord. And he was going to give back God what belonged to him. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were our fathers. Our days on this earth are as a shadow and without hope. David was an incredible man. He he knew. He had the right perspective. I would like to have that perspective. You know, I would like to think, you know, as Peyton 
our room. Me and my wife were painting our bedroom today, and I'm just thinking to myself, okay, this is great. And I, I wish that I could, I could look at things and I could just say, man, Lord, everything belongs to you. Help me to do a really good job. But really, I just want to get it done, you know. And I'm looking at this and I'm just thinking to myself, you know, David here has the absolute right perspective. Everything comes from God. And we should treat it that way. And when we give back to the Lord, we give back what belongs to Him in the first place. You know, our money, the things that we have when we tithe or do whatever we do. It's not like we're giving, you know, oh Lord, here, let me give you out of what belongs to me. We're giving God the first fruits of what belonged to Him anyway. The same thing with our time and our love and our effort, the things that we do for Him. Much like David, Mary knew that all things belonged to God. And out of love for him as a disciple, she gave him the very best that she had and not the leftovers, right? And so what we like to do, okay, Lord, let me see. Let me deposit my check, pay my bills, do this, do that. And okay, wait, I got 50 cents. Here you go, Lord, right? No, she gave him the very best. She gave him the first fruits of what she had, the very finest that she had. And, and that's amazing to me, you know, because too often we give Lord the, the Lord the scraps, the leftovers, the leftovers and the scraps of our time, right? And we want to serve the Lord, we want to do the things, we want to read, we want to pray, and it's like, okay, Lord, after I go to work, after I, you know, spend some time with my family, after I watch 14 hours of TV, oh, Lord, I'll give you five minutes before I go to bed, <laughs> you know? Uh, and it's remarkable that, that she would do that, that she would see and have that, that insight to give to the Lord the very best of what she had. Now we're going to take a look at the disciples' maturity. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity. So we're to go on, leaving those... First things when you were baby, when we were baby Christians, and just now pressing on towards maturity. The church, in my opinion, and I'm sure you guys will concur, has a real need today for Christians to be spiritually mature. If I'm being quite honest, there's too many Christians that are, you know, old enough to the, in the Lord to stop having, you know, the problems that they're having. Not that you don't struggle, not that we all don't struggle, but not realizing, well, where do I turn to get, I have a friend that's like that, it's like, you know, he's going through, he's been a Christian longer than me, I think I told you guys about him before, and it just, it, it bewilders me, that he doesn't understand that your, your, your problem isn't going to get fixed by thinking about it, your problem is going to get fixed by praying and turning to the Lord, and then now, not just doing that, but now responding to what it is that you're learning. And I think that's where the problem lies within the church, is that we read, we gloss over things, but then we don't really apply things to our lives. And that's where you start pressing on to maturity, right? It's not enough for us to hear and read the Word, but we must live it out. And we must live out what we claim to believe. If we believe that God is sufficient for all things, then we need to live like God is sufficient for all things. God, are you sufficient to take care of my problems, these sins that I keep finding myself getting into? Absolutely He is. But we need to be willing to recognize that. 
that sin, the things that come in, the temptations when they come. I told you guys before that you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a a nest in your hair, right? Those of you who have hair. You know, it's not like you can stop the temptations from coming, but you can stop them from getting that root in your life and press on towards maturity. And the things that you struggle with, there's many things I've struggled with. I struggle with a lot of things as a Christian, you know. Uh, and, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years, and I've, I mean, only recently has the Lord really began to deal with some of those harder issues, you know, that you don't think are a real big deal, you know, when you get overly frustrated at things, you know, guys, right? You get really upset, and it's just like, oh, why am I so mad? You know, Why? Or if you're any kind of mechanic, you know, it's like throwing a tool across the garage or something like that, as if that inanimate object did you wrong. You may not realize that we're the one holding the wrench, and if there's a problem, maybe we ought to smack ourselves upside the head with the wrench instead. Because really, that's the problem. But I think that that's where the problem lies, is that we don't apply what it is we know to be true. The author of the book of Hebrews just finished speaking concerning those that have been in the church for a long time, and yet they're spiritually immature. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You become in need of milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, and he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know, I think we have reason for use of application of the Word of God. You know, and as we put that practice of what we learn into place, and we start doing rather than hearing the Word of God, then I think we begin to press on much further in maturity, and I think it comes at a larger and a faster rate. You know, we begin to see, okay, the Lord is dealing with me in this area, and then boom, He deals with Him. We're like, whoa, that was awesome, and we don't turn back to it. We don't, we're not like that dog returning to its own vomit, right? We're not going back to lap it up. Now we're moving on to the next thing. Oh, Lord, what's next? What do you want to take from my life next that's, that's holding me back? That's keeping me from a deeper relationship with you. That's keeping me from maturing in you. What do you want to do, Lord? And, you know, I know we all struggle. We all have different things that we fight on a daily basis. But I think all too often we just give in, you know. And I'm hopeful that that will soon not be the case. That will press on towards maturity. That will let go of those things that hold us back. If you have kids or been around kids for any length of time, you immediately get where the where the writer of Hebrews is coming from. When you have a baby, how many of you guys have kids? Okay. When you have a baby, you feed it milk, right? No, no secret there, you know, or formula, whatever. Yeah, not you, Mason. <laughs> But as your baby grows, you begin to introduce solid foods, right? It just makes sense. Okay, well, you know, 
and start introducing solid foods. That's cool. You know, I got that. It's the same process for Christians. As we read the Word, as we take a look at it, and we just kind of, everybody says, oh, hey, look, you're a new Christian, you get saved, go to John. Read the book of John, right? So you read the book of John, and you're just kind of skimming over, and you have no idea what it is that you're reading. You have no idea, what, who is John? You know? You know, what's going on here? And so you start reading and whatever, and then as you progress in your relationship with the Lord, a year, two years, three years, five, ten, fifteen years, you begin to understand as you dissect the Word of God what it is that's going on. Now, you don't understand all things, you know, but you do begin to understand. You can be able to cross-reference what's going on in the Bible and the other Gospels. And you can see what's going on and how the Old Testament you know, kind of talks about the New Testament, and the New Testament reveals the Old Testament, right? And you can kind of see how it all works together. And just as you wouldn't feed an infant steak, right? Bring a baby home from the, and to cut up a big old steak, and the, here you go, have at it, you know? Put it in a dog dish on the floor. He's crawling anyway, right? So just put him down there by it. You, you wouldn't do that. Probably because you'd get arrested, but, you know, more likely because it just doesn't make sense. They have no teeth. You know, they have no sense of what they're supposed to be doing. They're looking for you to take care of them. I wouldn't expect the baby Christian to figure out the 70 weeks of Daniel, right? I mean, that's not something we would do. So just as you wouldn't feed that baby steak, you wouldn't expect a baby Christian to know the, you know, difficult doctrines of the Word of God, right? Or the rapture. Hey, you've been a Christian a week. What's the Trinity all about? Right? I mean, you wouldn't do that. Because it doesn't make sense. What we do is we, as you progress in the Lord, then you hopefully are in the same place spiritually and in maturity in your relationship with the Lord and as you're studying the Word of God. So that you're not a 20-year Christian at year one. Right? You're not 20 years in the Lord still trying to figure out those first things. You're not still sucking on milk. You know what I'm saying? By the same token, you wouldn't expect a teenager to drink from a bottle. Right? That'd be kind of weird. You know, my kids get older. It's like, hey, I'd like to have a bottle. Can I have it? No. You're old enough. Go out and buy something. You know, here, go in the refrigerator, get a glass, drink your milk that way, not through a bottle. I mean, we wouldn't expect that. It'd be weird to be out of place. And you wouldn't expect a mature Christian to struggle with things like John 3.16, right? I mean, I know that, that you could probably get like 20 studies out of that alone or whatever, but I mean, realistically, I mean... God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? That's how we all got saved. That's like the first thing you learn as a Christian. So you wouldn't expect a mature Christian to be struggling with something like that. Commentator George Guthrie said this, The writer of Hebrews describes in no uncertain terms a level of immaturity among his readers. Spiritually, they are like babes still suckling on their mother's breast, unconcerned with the rich, hearty foods of the adult table. Ouch. I personally, I know Christians like that. And, you know, 
you know, you pray for them, you talk to them. I have one friend in particular, I talk to him a lot. He's struggling in his marriage, well, his marriage, they're kind of separated, but, you know, he struggles a lot with it. So, a couple weeks ago, I told him some fairly hard truths about his situation, you know, after hearing him talk about it for months on end, the same things over and over again. Why? Why is this happening? Well, you know, the whole thing, right? Like, man, you know why it's happening. Because you weren't walking right with the Lord. And I'm not saying that God did that and He took your wife and this and that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you did something that caused your wife to get upset and now she wants nothing to do with you. Right? So, you're saying, why is this happening? I mean, uh, and I explained to him what I, what I believe that the Word of God says. And what I believe that the Lord was, was telling me to speak to him. And I don't think I've talked to him for about two weeks. <laughs> he hasn't called me. And I, that's not what I wanted. But, you know, I pray for him. You know, and, and I want him to do well and I want him to succeed in the Lord. You know, but sometimes, you know, as you're that 20, 25 years in the Lord, you should know why, why you're struggling. You know, as men, I mean, you think to yourself, well, you know, why am I struggling with sexual temptation and this? Well, maybe it's because you're watching HBO After Dark, or maybe it's because you're looking at things on the Internet that you shouldn't be watching, or certain TV shows where there's scantily clad women. Or maybe you don't switch the channel when those Victoria's Secret commercials come on, right? I can't switch the channel fast enough. Uh, Sometimes I want to throw the remote at the TV and break it, just be done with it. You know, it's like, why? You watch the Super Bowl and that's all you get, right? Scantily clad women. Well, why do you struggle with those things? Well, because we let them into our lives. Because instead of being mature enough to turn off the TV, we think we can handle it. And then we go later and we struggle with things in our mind and we wonder why. (laughs) I can tell you, I remember things. I remember pornographic material I saw when I was 14 years of age vividly in my head it's not going anywhere i mean i pray lord help me just to keep my mind focused on you but i'm 40 years old now so do the math you know you look at that stuff and it gets just burned into your brain and once it's in it's only by the grace of god that you don't think about it you know and and it's not good for some Christians, it's time to move from the kiddie table and step up to the adult table. You guys remember? We all remember that, right? We all sat around the kiddie table while the adults were at the grown-up table eating Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. or We just had Easter, so Easter dinner, right? And you're a little kid and you're waiting. You can't wait to get to the big table, right? And then sometimes you get in this awkward place where there's no room at the big table, but you're a grown man. And it's like you got to sit at the kiddie table and your knees are like all the way up here and you're sitting with these other little kids and it's weird. It's like, why am I not at the big kid? I'll, I'll just stand. I'm good, you know? Right? But sometimes it's like that. I mean, sometimes we need to just, you know what, step up to the adult table. You know, stop being babes in Christ and begin to be men. That's why you guys come here, right? To be men. You know, to, to understand what God has for you as men. That's why I come. Lord, what do you have for me? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father? 
all we ever do is surface read the Bible or read devotional books more than the Bible, we're stunning our growth as Christians. You won't grow. Don't get me wrong. I mean, books are great. This book that we're reading, Spiritual Discipleship, is a, is a great book. But it's not a substitute for the Bible. You know, I'll throw the book in the trash before I stop reading my Bible. You know, I, I, to me, the Word of God is, the, is living and powerful, right? And that's what cuts that division between bone and marrow. That's what changes your life. Not any self-help book. Not any how, how do I kick this habit book by Christian authors. None of that. The Word of God is what does it. That's what changes your life and my life. All those books are great, but they're no, they're no substitute for diligent study of the Word of God. Amen? God desires that we grow spiritually. We're transformed and we need to continue to change no matter how old we get in Christ. If you feel like you're too old to change, man, you need to change that thought. You know, old dogs can learn new tricks, I promise. I mean, you know, there's plenty of times that I've thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm too old to do certain things. I can't do that. And it's just like before you know it, it's like, okay, well, I guess I can, you know, doing that Bible ministry school. And it's like, man, I haven't been in school since 1990, you know. This is like insane. And it's only, what, three, three and a half hours on a Tuesday night. It's not like you're going every night of the week taking 18 units, you know, and like some of these kids are. It's just, man. So old dog, new trick, right? We can learn. We can change. We cannot, though, become stagnant in our walks. We need to keep growing and moving forward in spiritual maturity. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 11 says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will, neither, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to call to make your call an election sure. For if you do these things, you will, nev- you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, he's not saying you'll never stumble, you'll never get tripped up, you'll never do something dumb. He's just saying that if you continue, that's not going to be the manner of your life. You're not going to walk around immature as a Christian if you're diligent to make that calling upon your life an election sure. Make sure that you are doing the things that the Lord wants you to do, following after Jesus Christ with your whole heart. Spiritual maturity is a choice we make no matter what stage we are in the Lord. Some of you guys are newer Christians. Some of you guys are older Christians. You know, in the Lord, I'm not talking about age. But it's a choice to be spiritually mature. You know, turning off the TV. You know, I was talking to my wife, and we have a TV in our room. You know, how many guys have TVs in your room? You don't have to show me your hands. But we, you know, I mean, we have TVs in our room. Why? Because we like TV. We like to, you know, I mean, for me, I'll fall asleep. I'll turn it on at 11 o'clock, fall asleep by midnight, and whatever, right? But... 
it's one of those things where I just told my wife, I don't want TV in my room anymore. We're painting the room. It's not going back up. You know, it's just one of those things. I mean, we have it in the living room, you know, prop it up in my kid's room or something. I just don't want it in the room anymore. It's a distraction. It's something that takes away the time that the Lord has given to, I believe, to, to all of us. But to me in particular, I feel like for my life, it's just something that distracts me from reading. I wonder why I sit there and zone out and watch so much TV, but it's like, man, I'm putting together a Bible study at the last minute. You know, and you have a month to do it, right? It's like, what? <laughs> why is that happening? You know, well, it's because we're distracted by so many different things. Blowing bubbles. Sorry about that. <laughs> so it's a choice no matter what stage we are at in the Lord. I can tell you that you won't become a mature Christian if you don't spend time and get to know God, right? I mean, that's pretty basic. You won't be mature if you don't study His Word. We should choose to spend time reading and studying the Word in order to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's how you grow. You guys want to know how you grow in the Lord? Stop wasting time and get into the Word. You know, it's great that we sit and we pray, you know, hey, Lord, I just want to, I want to know you more. I want to seek your face. I want to do all these things. And we pray it and then we do nothing about it. You know, these are things that God wants for us. I mean, it's declared in his word that he desires for us to know him. So know him. Pick up his word. Read, right? That's how we get to know him. Read, pray, fellowship with other believers. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Right? We're in a country that affords us the opportunity to sit in a building that used to be a gym and change it into a church and sit here and study the Word of God together as men and on Sundays, Wednesdays, and every other day of the week that we're here. Where... Other countries don't have that same opportunity. They're persecuted for if they're a Christian in a Muslim country or, you know, in any other country. Muslims what comes to mind. But you're persecuted. You know, you're killed for your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not trying to put a trip on you guys to make you think, oh man, what a bummer, I need to read it. I want you to want to do it. I want you to understand that it's not something that we have to do. It's something we get to do. And the more we understand that, and the more that we take that, and we say, you know what, I'm not just, I don't just have to go to church, I don't just have to read my Bible, I get to, I think the better off we are. And the more mature we become. Because we don't see it, like we talked about, as duty or compulsion, but as a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why I always talk about, well, Christianity is not religion, it's a relationship, right? Well, yeah, it is. And when in a relationship, you talk to that person, you spend time with them, <laughs> right, And in religion, it's duty and it's obligation always. But in a relationship, when, when I started dating my wife, you know, I was getting to know her or whatever, I spent time with her. And then when, I, you know, when we ended up falling in love with each other and then you know, getting married, I mean, we cultivated that relationship. Otherwise, we'd be two strangers living in a house for the past 12 years. But we didn't. We cultivated that relationship. And just like our relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to cultivate it. You have to spend time. Because you get to spend time. Because it's not something that you're going to be persecuted for doing. 
Yeah, we also, it's another study for a different day, have the wrong idea of what persecution is in the United States, but that's something else. But we're, we, we, just, we need to be in the Word. We need to allow it to not just you know, be something that we read, but something that becomes a part of our lives. Something that changes us from the inside out. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We've got to grow in grace. Grow by getting to know His Word. We all have work to do spiritually. I mean, that goes without saying. You know, you stub your toe and out comes a profanity. You know, we all have work to do as Christians. You know, we we don't, we're nobody's perfect this side of heaven. We all have stuff that we can improve upon in our lives. And we should never think that we've arrived as Christians because this type of attitude will make us become complacent or satisfied in the Lord. I don't want to be satisfied in Christ where I'm at. I want to press on. I want to continue. I want to know more. I want to know Jesus better, right? And and if we don't read, if we don't study, if we don't look to Him, you know, we're going to be lost. We won't become that mature Christian. Our desire should be to keep pressing forward. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15, He says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold on me me for. Well, whatever. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward for those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. Let's have this mind. You guys are grown men. Have this mind. We need to have the mind of maturity, of pressing on in Christ. Letting nothing hold, hold us back. Nothing, letting nothing keep us. And no one, whether it's your wife or your kids or your family, letting no one keeping you or me from getting to know Jesus better. It's not always easy to push towards maturity and sometimes we let the circumstances of our life consume us and drag us down rather than seeing those struggles as an opportunity to grow. Things that we deal with, we battle with on a daily basis. When the trials come, don't ask God, why me, right? And that's our tendency. Lord, why me? Why not you? Right? Why not, why not me? But see them as an opportunity to grow because you don't grow if everything's all flowery and rose petals and whatever in your life as a Christian, then something's wrong. You know, we struggle as Christians not because God likes to punish us or cause us to struggle, but we struggle because it brings forth maturity. It brings forth growth in our walk. So the next time we come up against those trials or somebody else does, we're able to either get through them or help that person. We need to aim for maturity. Not in our own strength, but by the understanding that Jesus... Understanding that Jesus always has our best interests at heart and in mind, right? Always. He's not looking to punish us. Paul was a man that understood the circumstances that he was in and would not dictate. He knew that they would not dictate 
the faith that he had in God, the trust that he had. Paul was a mature man in Christ. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not some things, all things. Yeah, some of them aren't pleasant. Some are more difficult than others, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God uses the temptations we go through to develop maturity in us. But this can be painful at times, right? It can be a struggle. I think sometimes that instead of fighting temptation, we just give in because it's easier and we know we can repent. And that's a sad place to be in. I've been there. Oh, sometimes, you know, you don't want to feel... You guys know what it's like to get that deep down feeling where it's like you're tempted by something. It's just like, oh man, how am I going to get through this, right? Instead of going to the Word and praying and seeking the Lord for wisdom, we just give in. Because <laughs> we know that the Lord will forgive us. I hate that about myself sometimes. Because I know that that's the area in our lives that needs maturing. In my life that needs maturing, right? It's to not to give in to those temptations, but to lay them aside and just pray, seek the Lord, fast if need be. What's fasting? You know, half of us as Christians like never fasted before. I mean, it, it's it's wild. In First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen, no temptation is over overtaking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make way of escape that you may be able to bear it or get through it. He's faithful. He's sovereign. He's impartial. He's powerful. The passage in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14, really speaks to the main reason why immaturity and deception is rampant in the church today. Instead of testing all things in light of scriptures, the scriptures, Christians go with the flow. I thought we were supposed to go against the flow, right? But we go with the flow. Why? Because, quite frankly, they don't know the word. And if you don't know the word, you wouldn't see deception if it slapped you upside the head. You have to know the word of God. Be so familiar with the word of God that when... Those things come up that are there to deceive you or drag you away from the Lord, you can say, whoa, that's not right. You can smell it coming, you know. You get that feeling. Spiritual maturity has nothing to do with our age or how long we've been Christians. Spiritual maturity is about rightly dividing the word of truth and then living it out. Plain and simple. Took all that time to just say that. We could have just said that, right? Live out the word of God. Live out what it is that we believe. When Paul says to Timothy to flee youthful lust, it's not a suggestion. <laughs> you know, you turn around and run. Make no provisions for the flesh, he says in Romans. Don't give in to that little temptation. Not even for a minute. Close with Psalm chapter 19, verse 9 through 16. He says, how can a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O oh Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all your judgments from your mouth. 
I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. No matter where we are in our maturity level as Christians, we all need to continue to grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? No matter where. If we do this, we'll become mature and wise beyond our years. I encourage you guys to love the Lord and don't hold anything back and press on towards maturity by getting to know Him through His Word. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your love and the just the grace and the love that You show us, God. Your mercy, God, which are new every morning, Lord. Thank You that You loved us so much, God, that You sent Your Son to die on the cross for us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that You would begin to change us And cause us, Lord, to seek you day by day, moment by moment. Help us always, Lord, to look to you and not to look to man. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.